Hello and welcome to the first episode of the God's Story podcast, bringing us back to the gospel and the word of God. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm joined by the Reverend Ian Reid of King's Grace Presbyterian Church in Palmerston North, New Zealand. Ian, why the God's Story podcast? Well, what we want to do is remind uh, the church about the gospel, particularly in New Zealand. We feel like the church always needs to be constantly reminded of what the gospel is, but also bringing back to the church uh, the, the core of what the Bible is saying and trying just to encourage us to see God's truth uh, and how to live that out uh, as God's church. Yeah. Why is it important that we remind ourselves in the church of the gospel? Well, I think our experience uh, across New Zealand in particular is that people have lost, the church has lost that uh, a lot. Uh, it's and it's his kind of strayed away from what the core story of what the church should be, uh, but also all of us need to be reminded constantly of what the gospel is. We we're always uh, being drawn away to other things, to other stories, uh, and we need to be constantly reminded of that we are living in God's narrative, in His story. Yeah, there seems to be a real uh, temptation to biblical unfaithfulness amongst all of us, all of the time. I think that's where our hearts go constantly, isn't yeah, it? Isn't yeah, it, Brent? It is. yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. we're constantly being strayed away from uh, the story being about God and we constantly refocus it on ourselves and make it about us. Yeah. Well, Ian, what then is God's story? Well, today we're going to uh, begin by looking at a part of God's story. We're going to be exploring the letter of Hebrews, which really gives us a good overview of what God's story is, uh, that it is about who God is and what he has done in this world. And it's a letter uh, to, some of the, to a group of Christians or a church who is struggling with understanding uh, their place in that, understanding who Jesus is. Uh, and what we want to do is kind of explore that a little bit and through that kind of understand what God's big picture for this world is. Yeah, and what's the big story of Hebrews, Ian? Well, there, there seems to be a problem uh, in this with this group of or this, this church or, or potentially a group of churches uh, that they are kind of working out who Jesus is and that, that's what it really is about. It's about focusing on Jesus, helping us understand who Jesus is uh, and seeing that he is the only thing that we need to trust in. Uh, when, we, when you look at the whole book, that is what it's really about, that Jesus is supreme, uh, that he is the one who has done uh, all things uh, and when he come, he's come and he's redeemed us uh, and we don't need to do anything else but uh, trust in him. Well, who was it written to? You've talked about the, uh, the temptation to unfaithfulness, but who, who, is, who is the author? We'll come on to talk about authorship in a minute, but who's the author writing to, do you think? I, I think he's writing to a group of potentially uh, Jewish Christians or people who, who are Jews who are working out uh, who Jesus is. It's possibly uh, a group of people, of Jews in a synagogue who have heard about the Christian message and they're trying to work it out for themselves who he is. Uh, but there's, a, there's other um, theories around that as well. Who, who do you think? Well, well I think you're <laughs> right about the, the Jewish Christians. It makes the moment most sense. But some people have suggested that these are Gnostics because of all the influence of angels. And Yeah, it could yeah. be. Yeah. It could be, but I think when you when I look at the whole kind of scope of the book, I feel it's probably more to a group of Jewish Christians. It could be Gnostics because there is a lot of talk of angels and things like that in there as well. Well, the angels the angels would make sense to if it was Jewish Christians, wouldn't it? It it does because yeah. there's, there's a big influence or you know there's a lot of thinking uh, that around angels and how how God's word it was 
kind of transported yeah. through yeah. different prophets and different things. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because in the old covenant system, the angels were the messengers of God, weren't they? And they, they gave the old uh, the uh, old covenant and the uh, the commandments and the law and so forth. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of um, Jewish people believed uh, in that that kind of the around that time was that Moses didn't receive the covenant himself, but it was mediated. Through the angels. Through angels, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Jesus, the angel of the Lord, where do you stand on that? Where does it say that? <laughs> so you don't, you don't stand on that. Well, you, don't, maybe. you don't believe in that. No, no, no. You're not a, you're not a poor blackamite. No, 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 I've not come across that before. That's... Oh, okay. Well, we'll talk about that later, folks. <laughs> don't worry about that. Okay. Well, okay, so who wrote it then? That's the next question. Well, early on, people, it had been attributed to Paul uh, and... That, that's pretty much what the, the early church and most of the church has believed. I, I probably don't think that it was Paul. I know that, I'm not, not sure if that's controversial or not, but... Well, um, no, it's not now, no, no. Not, not, not amongst modern scholarly people, mm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought. I, I don't know, is what I'll say. And I'm not sure, I'm, I, little old me is going to work that out, <laughs> kind of sitting in Palmerston North 2,000 years later. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I tend to, uh, I tend to uh, hold on to the traditional authorship, um, and you're going to ask me why, aren't you? And sure. I, I, don't, I don't know really. Well, I think that, t- t- as Sherlock Holmes would say, there are a couple of bits of evidence that are suggestive. I um, don't know whether they're conclusive. They're suggestive. I think it's about as far as we can go. I mean, it was, uh, Hebrews was included in the letters of Paul and some of the very, very earliest um, manuscript uh, uh, collections of the New Testament. And we've got a chap called Clement of Alexandria who lived from, oh, I was writing, uh, 150 to 215. And it's really the only explicit piece of, of evidence we've got from the early church about Hebrews. And he says that Paul wrote it in Hebrew, for the Hebrews, obviously, which makes sense. And then uh, Luke uh, translated it into Greek. And so the thinking is that maybe that accounts for the fact that some of the Greek language doesn't read uh, a lot like, like Paul. But then other people say, well, actually, no, it isn't anyway, so... Who knows? Yeah, who knows? And that, that's part of the issue that I have is that the when you come and study Hebrews in the original language in Corne Greek, you have to study, you have to learn a whole new vocabulary because... It's so different. Yeah, and there's only those words appear in Hebrews and nowhere else. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, we've got a Greek scholar here. Um, Hardly. Uh, I bet you did more Greek at um, college than I did. I did. I did. I had to reset it. Well, maybe you did, <laughs> maybe you did more than me. I, I found it a real struggle learning all that, but I did it. I did it eventually. Yeah. And you still use it every day, don't you? I, I, I saw, I greet, I greet uh, people in uh, first century Koine Greek. Brother, I do. Rito, I, I do. I don't. <laughs> You're more holy than me, I guess. I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm, well, I'm, I'm made holy by Jesus. But, mm, We're going to find mm. that out, actually. In, in mm, he- in yeah, well, that's, that's one of the, yeah, Rito, you're absolutely right. That's one of the great themes of Hebrews, isn't it? There, that we are made perfect and that we are perfect through Christ. Mm. Yeah, which is controversial in itself. Um, okay, so um, what does the book tell us then about the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it has a lot to say. Uh, and I, th- I just think it's so interesting how many kind of things are specific to Hebrews that we would have known kind of if we had a piece of things together uh, across um, from the Old Testament, but it makes explicit so many different things that Jesus is the high priest that that kind of only appears here, uh, that he is the mediator, kind of he's the it, it joins all of these different things up that he's the temple, he's the sacrifice, he's the priest, you know, all of these different yeah. things. Yeah, so much. It's like, it's like a, a coming together of the whole Old Testament, isn't it? So 
Yeah, and mm. the hints of that elsewhere in the New Testament, but Hebrews really kind of just brings all those together. Mm-hmm. Well, we've touched on the angels, but why the concern with angels in chapter 1? Yeah, it's such a big theme there, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite strange to us, actually. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have chosen that <laughs> if I was going to start a letter or it's possibly a sermon. Uh, I wouldn't, I don't know if that, <laughs> that would be where I would start. I, I guess it's one of the big things that that's mm. uh, a big issue in this community that that they're really struggling with uh, understanding who Jesus is. And one of the things, first things that needs to be addressed is is the angels thing that Jesus is greater than angels and it to me it seems like it's about authority that Jesus needs to have he needs to be put above these things firstly Mm -hmm. these kind of deconstructing some of their their issues uh, and the first thing obviously is angels that he is greater than angels and I guess it's because of that idea was of that the angels mediated the covenant that this is where you're going to start Mm, mm. Um, because the next thing you get to in chapter 2 is that Jesus is greater than Moses, who's the, the receiver of that covenant. Yeah, yeah. So maybe you know, for a Jewish person sitting in the first century, that, that's what the thing that you would be struggling with. Yeah. Well, let's look at verses 1 to 2. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. Okay, Rito, what's the writer trying to show us here? Well, it's a, it's a bringing together, really, of everything that's in the Old Testament. It's pointing to the fulfilment in Jesus, that everything is coming together uh, in this one space, this one person even, that God has, in the past, he's spoken various different ways. There was There's different prophets, there's different people, uh, there's different writings, uh, but here that all of those things are drawn together in one person, in Jesus. He is the fulfilment. This is what God has been doing through all of creation, and here we have it fulfilled in, in this one person. Yeah. In, in what sense, then, is Jesus the fulfilment of everything? It's a big question, isn't it? It's a huge question. I hope you're going to enlighten me. Well, I don't know if I'll be any help, but it, it really is saying that all of creation, uh, really everything that has existed, has existed both for him uh, and is fulfilled in him. That's kind of it's a big call, isn't it? That this is what God is doing in creation for all of time. You kind of we 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 often ask that what's the meaning of life and things like that. But that that's the thing that that we kind of have maybe misunderstood or you know kind of that we often put it on ourselves that it's me that is the the fulfiller of my life yeah but here we have god saying no this is what i've been slowly revealing throughout all of history throughout all of the nations this is the one thing that i've been revealing i've been revealing myself yeah so already in the in the first verse of hebrews we've got these two you know you like to talk about the two stories of humanity you know mm. you tell us about that because yeah, 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 and you yeah. really from the beginning of creation. That's what not right at the beginning, but from the fall. This is what you have. You have you have two stories of humanity. You have God's story, and you have humanity's story, and they can't coexist. This is the the, the kind of the thing that we think. There's it's really a, a story of sovereignty. Who is going to be the sovereign? Mm-hmm. Is is God going to be the sovereign? Or is humanity going to usurp his rule and, and take over? And we love to do that. And we, make every, we constantly are doing that, uh, trying to t- make ourselves uh, the ruler. And as we look through 
the whole story of the Old Testament is about God saying, no, I'm coming to make myself the ruler and there will be a day when I will come and bring all things together. And this is the point, is, is, is Jesus has done it. Yeah, and I think you, you uh, when you preached on this, you, you told us that you think uh, Jesus is the, the me- big word here. Sorry. But no, I think it's a great word, meta, the meta-narrative. You've said that Jesus is the meta-narrative of the universe and the fulfillment of God's story. Now, what's, what's a meta-narrative, Rito? It's well, a big word. It is, isn't it? And it's a word that you, we often, you hear in philosophy, particularly around postmodernism, that there's, there is no meta-narrative, that, that there isn't a big story. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, there is no big story. Yeah, mm, yeah. That there's, there is nothing holding everything together. Yeah. Uh, but what this is saying is there is something holding everything together and it's not something that we've made up. It's something actually that God has done. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, first uh, we're told seven things about Jesus. Uh, Firstly, that he is appointed heir of all things. Now, what's an heir? Because I think we need to explain that. And why is Jesus the heir? Well, an heir is someone that inherits something, isn't it? Heir as an H-E-I-R. Not something you breathe. (laughs) Yeah, okay, um, but it's, it's someone that inherits something, uh, and you, but you only inherit it. This is the interesting thing, I think. You only inherit something if uh, someone who's who you're inheriting from dies. You know, they have to they have to pass away for you to inherit that thing. Otherwise, you you kind of you you always remain an heir. You don't ever remain the. You don't kind of step up to the next role. Yeah, yeah. So why is Jesus then the heir of all things? Well, this is something that, that gets explored later on in terms of his death. But first and for, foremostly, I think it has to do with him inheriting all things, that, that he will be the one who has he's created the world for himself or the world has been created for him. And he is the one who's going to rule over it all uh, as, the, as the rightful ruler of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, next we're told that God made the world this I find mind-blowing. Um, uh, th- we're told that God made the world or the universe. I don't know which translation you, you prefer. Uh, anyway, uh, through Jesus. Now, what's the importance of that? Well, it sounds a little bit like John 1, doesn't it? Where yeah, sure, it does, doesn't it? And, yeah. and I, want, I don't know if it's picking up on that purposely. It does, it does sound that like that a little bit. Uh, but what... The purpose is that all of creation, even before the beginning of creation, is pointing to Jesus. Everything is going to be created through him and, and for him. It's not just some plan that God makes up later on, but it's actually right there at the very beginning. This is what God has always been doing. Mm. And then, then in verse 3, coming on, uh, i just read it. I'll get my translation here. Verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God. This is Jesus. This is, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Well, okay, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. What does that tell us about the Trinity, Rito? Well, do, do we, need, we need a few hours just to explain the Trinity, don't we? Well, I think we need a basic explanation. Are you, are you able to give us one? Well, no, I'm not. Um, but, <laughs> Off the but, top of your head. Well, they're three, three persons, one being, which is really important. So they're distinguishable, but they're not dis- uh, separate, you know, kind of, they're not sep- three separate kind of things. Uh, but they're, so they're one being, but three persons. There's nothing in creation, though, that I can point to to say, hey, Look at that thing. That 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 is exactly like the Trinity. 
it's we just can't do that and that that's kind of how god is mm. yes uh, so jesus is the radiance of the glory of god so how, how then if that's the case how does jesus represent the father to us well it says he's the exact representation doesn't he and i think mm. in particular the the bit about being the radiance of god's glory is that that is the thing that god is doing throughout all of creation that he wants to he wants to radiate his glory mm. uh, uh, and which is a really interesting thing that that we kind of would think you know the olympics are on at the moment that you know someone kind of glories in themselves you know that's a bit weird isn't it? you know particularly particularly as kiwis you kind of we don't like that uh but or as aussies aussies are humble characters oh very very humble very <laughs> humble except when they're playing cricket well <laughs> we've been humbled i'll say <laughs> Humbled, uh, which is different. Which and is different, rightly so. <laughs> which is different to humility. <laughs> uh, but uh, for for God to do it, it's something totally different. Because mm. if He is the one that stands outside of creation, then He can do it without it being kind of vain. Um, but what He does is He expresses Himself because He's one being. He's able to express the very nature of that being in each of the different persons. And so He doesn't need to. When we see Jesus. We can say that we have seen the Father in in terms of his character. Mm. Well, next we're told, verse 4, that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. No, sorry, that's still verse 3, isn't it? He upholds the the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So I find this mind-blowing, Rita. How, How do you get your head around this? How then does Jesus hold the universe together? don't know <laughs> it is one of those things i think this probably is a bit beyond us uh but it's still i mean we're told that he is the one holding all things together uh and but is it also hold, holding it together in the sense of if he stopped existing the universe would stop existing wow uh, and that he is actually driving it to its end to its purpose you know kind of as well at the same time mm. Well, then the writer of Hebrews tells us what Jesus has done. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels. There's our angels theme coming in. Bing, angels, neon light sign. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, why is the right hand so important? Well, what's, that, that, what's that all about? That was the seat of power that you would. So you would oh, okay. you would have your king or you have your emperor, and the person who's on the right hand is the is the second in charge. And you kind of in the, in that kind of space that and that, that's what people would have read and understood there. It's not being rude to people who are left-handed, by the way. <laughs> it's not, that's not the point of it. Okay, I'm I'm very pleased to hear that. Are you left-handed? No, 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 either. no. I'm left-footed though. Oh, how do you so do you eat with your left foot? Uh, no, uh, but the important the importance there being that Jesus has gained this kind of supreme position that that is all powerful. Uh, there's there's nothing that can be taken away from him there mm. either. Mm. So why is it important coming back to this theme that the author show us that Jesus is superior to the angels? Well, it's going to, he's setting something up. He's setting us up for the rest of the book. His argument is to set us up to convince us that we don't need anything else 
but Jesus. That, that we, can, we don't have to go back to following the law. We don't have to go back to sacrificing. And he's setting us up very slowly, kind of chipping away at our defences in kind of saying, oh, but how about this or how about that? No, he's, he's setting us up to say, this Jesus is all that we need. Mm. So we've had these seven facts about Jesus, and now we get seven quotes uh, from the Old Testament to show us that Jesus is better than the angels. Now, why seven? Is there any significance to seven? Probably. Uh, not sure. it, so- it sounds like a well-crafted sermon, this kind of, you know, you've got, mm. you know, kind of, you've got two lots of seven here. You've got the seven facts, then you have the seven quotes. Uh, se- seven itself is important because it's kind of seen as God's number. Uh, that, that it's, a, it's a number of completeness. Uh, and so... God himself you know, kind of reveals himself as in that kind of that number. Numbers are as important, uh, particularly for Jewish people. They were got seven days of creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, seven becomes very important in, in the book of Revelation and in, in other books. It kind of forms a really important kind of piece of the puzzle. Is there a link to the seven days of creation? I, I went through them all and I couldn't see an obvious one. Though I might be able to get one out of the Old Testament quotes, the second lot of sevens, but I struggled with the first lot of seven. I could force them in there if you want me to. But have no, you thought about no, that? No, I, no haven't, I, I haven't thought about that at all. Okay. <laughs> so well, I don't want has. to force them in, though, but because often these things, that you can, they are there, but mm. um, I'm not, I don't want to force anything there. So can you take us through the seven quotes? What do they tell us about Jesus and the angels? We've got the first one there from Psalm 2. I'm, I'm not going to be able to work out, remember every single quote from which place, but the first one's from Psalm 2, which is talking about the king, which is a really important, Mm. it's a really important psalm when we're thinking Mm. about Jesus. It's this almost prophetic psalm about this king coming and and who is also the son of God. Uh, And it's it's quite a beautiful psalm uh, that this king is coming to, to bring God's will to earth. And 2 Samuel 7, which is another really key we're going to talk about this thing called biblical theology. Maybe we should introduce it now. Uh, 2 Samuel 7, which is another key biblical theological passage, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what you get in the second quote there. Uh, I will be his father and he will be my son. Talking, uh, David is is being spoken to there by the prophet Nathan and he's relaying God's words. And it's a really important kind of little little bit in the Bible, that that 2 Samuel 7, it's the Davidic, what we call the Davidic covenant. Uh, and it's, it's the point in history where God is saying, this is the, the family. He's already said that previously to, to Abraham, but he's saying to, to David, your family is the one where the king's going to come. Mm. The Messiah is going to come through your family. Yep. And verse 6, the quote in verse 6. Yeah, so it's from Deuteronomy 32. My footnotes say that. I well, don't have that off the top of my head. No, fair enough. Um, but it's really interesting, isn't it? That it's a, we've got angels again. Mm. Let all God's angels worship him. Now, that's not what we would probably see in our translations. That's a, transla- a different uh, kind of wording there. And it comes from the Septuagint, uh, which was... Uh, a, the Septuagint, Septuagint is what? So it was the, the, Greek, the Greek translation of the original Hebrew uh-huh. text uh-huh. Uh, for Greek-speaking Jewish, Jewish people. people. Mm. Uh, what... Around what time was it translated? Oh, there's oh, there's debate about before that before Jesus. Too. Yeah, yeah, about the f- oh, I think they say about the third century BC, but there'll be people who are saying no, that's not right. But I think it was about then, sometime, give or take a century or so. You you're a biblical scholar more than me, I guess. No, I'm not, and I'm relying on you. Oh well, 
But you've got again, you know, that the word angels kind of popping up. That this this is not um, kind of saying, "Hey, go worship an angel." It's actually saying the opposite. The angels are worshiping God, and what what's being proved here is that Jesus is God. Okay, yeah, that's powerful, isn't it? Uh, Psalm one hundred and four is next, I think, in verse seven. Am I right? Yes. So I think my version is slightly different to yours, but he makes angels his wing winds, his servants flames of fire. But the, mm. the point being uh, that the angels serve God, not the other way around. Mm, mm. Yeah, and that, that if God's son is coming into the world, he's not going to be serving the angels, but the angels are going to serve him. Mm. So again, powerful testimony about who Jesus really is. Verses 8 and 9, uh, Psalm 45. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, I mean, Do we want to read it? Where is yeah, it? you read it for I'm, us. I'm, I'm in the ESV. Um, but of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. It's an interesting Beautiful. Quote, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's very poetic, mm. isn't it? But your th- that, that, that bit right at the beginning, your throne of God will last forever and ever. It's, it's about God establishing his rule. And you, it really is getting to the heart of God's story, isn't it? That, that this is what God has come to do. He's come to establish his rule on earth. But look how it ends as well. It's joy and gladness. Mm. That mm. it's not bad for human beings, but for God to be, to be the ruler. It's actually the opposite. It brings us joy. Mm, indeed it does verses 10 to 12 which is uh, i think a number of quotes yeah they're all back to back yeah you lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands they will perish but you remain they will all wear out like a garment like a robe you will roll them up i love i love this verse Mm. like a garment they will be changed but you are the same and your years will have no end yeah yeah, and, well, I guess this is the this is the creation psalm, isn't it? In, mm. in a sense that mm. that God has laid everything out, and His story has been played out, uh, and the earth will kind of change and it will do its thing, but God Himself and His plans will never change. They just kind of keep rolling on. Yeah, and then uh, t- I think those are those the seven, and then I think to round it all off, verse thirteen, which is Psalm one hundred and ten, I believe. Yeah, which Psalm 110 is quite interesting. It keeps popping up in the Bible, in the New Testament. It's the most quoted psalm uh, in the New Testament. And it has this this interesting kind of thing. It's a, it's a prophetic psalm. Uh, Peter quotes from it in Acts 2. And here at this bit, it's sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It's looking forward to something that David's king, his, the Messiah is coming uh, and he's going to rule. Mm. And he's going to be God's ruler. Yeah, and so we're getting a pretty clear picture of who the Lord Jesus is from all these references, aren't we? Mm. And then we finish with verse 14. Are they not all, presumably speaking of the angels again, are they not all ministering spirits for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? I don't know, are they? Uh, well, yes, he says. He is, it, is, to, it rhetor- he is it a rhetorical think, question? Oh, or is it? Well, I think he's telling us, isn't he? I don't know. <laughs> Yes, I think I think it's a, it's one of those questions that that has the yes <laughs> you kind of you don't need to answer it. It's just like yes, yes they are. Yeah. yeah. But the, the the point being that the angels are the ministering spirits, not the other way around. You kind of they're they're not the ones that are served, but they they are the ones that serve. Mm. Okay. So from all this, what do we what do we learn about the angels from chapter one of Hebrews? 
they serve God. <laughs> and then not the other way around, that God doesn't serve them. They're not above him. And particularly, they're not above the Son either. Mm. So Jesus really is in charge. He makes that very clear, doesn't he? What's the application of all of us to us today? I think one of the key things is if we get Jesus right, uh, then we will get the gospel right, really. It's, but if we get Jesus wrong, and as there's many people in church history have done, if you get Jesus wrong, you end up in a bad space, and particularly you end up moving towards legalism in some form. Yeah, and we want to talk about, this is going to be a theme, a sub-theme that runs through this God Story podcast because, uh, well, um, we've just, you know, in, the, in the church, and just let's take where we are, we should say we're in um, the sunny Manawatu in Palmerston North. We, did we say that at the start? I don't think we did. But that's where we're broadcasting from, podcasting from. So do you reckon the, the church in New Zealand is currently getting Jesus wrong, Rito? Without wishing, we're not wanting to be arrogant or, or point the fingers, but... It's hard not to be arrogant and judgmental, kind of, when you kind of, but when you do look around the churches, and I try and listen to a few sermons from different people around the place, and it's not that I wouldn't have fellowship with people or think that, that they're not Christians, but I do feel like there are big points where they've, they've missed the core of who Jesus is, and, it, and I, in what I see is that it tends towards them doing some bad things in terms of the, the, the application they have for people, um, how they run their churches, and how they will look after and love people. So there's, a, there's, I, I get the feeling as I journey around that there is a real problem uh, that we, 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 have a real problem understanding grace, and tied up with that is a real problem understanding the gospel, which is a gospel of grace. Yeah. And if you get Jesus wrong, that's where you're going to go. You, you kind yeah. of you aren't going to head towards grace. You're going to head towards some form of legalism. I was listening to a sermon of a of a local church uh, that said uh, the pastor said you we get in by grace, but we stay in by our works. And there's a denial of the gospel. Ultimately, it is yeah. right because and this is the beauty of Hebrews is that that very thing is being stripped away um, that you get in by what Jesus has done and you stay in by what Jesus has done and you're changed by what Jesus has done and this is this is what we really for us is the heart of the gospel it's the it's our passion isn't it you kind of that keep coming back to grace we don't always get it right you know I'm not going to deny that that we're not perfect Uh, but we want to just keep being drawn back to grace drawn back to what Jesus has done and if we don't uh, rely on the grace of God or understand it or have our churches teach it to us, we can end up in a right state bound up with legalism and thinking we've got to do X, Y and Z and perform this, this or that and it can become a real, uh, it, it destroys souls. Well, I, the way that I have particularly seen it work in churches is that you end up being quite manipulative in, in how you try and motivate people to do things. It's well, if you if you're not giving to church, you know you're you're dishonouring God, and and you know, you need to give more because your salvation is on the line, or you need to do more yeah. because at church because salvation is on the line. So your motivation is always driven out of guilt. It's driven out of uh, insecu- fear. Yeah, fear, insecurity, all of those things. Where I want people to give. I want people to to. Uh, give their time to church and to serve and, and to serve others and love people. 
but it must flow out of love. It must flow out of grace. And when we get that deep down, it totally changes who we are. It, it just becomes so freeing as, as, a, as humans. And as a church, it just frees us up to do so much more. Yeah. So what would you say to, if, if we have someone listening to this podcast, Rido, who, has, who is a Christian, uh, who has accepted Christ, but who is struggling with the guilt from, from something, uh, and they're, they're, not, they're not able to seek relief from it, or they don't know how to get relief for it, what would, you, what would be your message to them? I think we, f- we find that in the next couple of chapters, which is really good. Uh, and one of the big things, I think it's in chapter 3 that comes up, is fix your eyes on Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we all struggle with guilt. There is not one of us. where well, all of us have problems with assurance. There's not one of us that doesn't. And so to think that, oh, you know, I haven't been a good Christian, you kind of, that's the, often the line, isn't it? None of us have been good Christians. There's not such a thing. But there is a good Jesus. He is a good saviour. Uh, and so the thing that we need to keep doing is fix our eyes on Jesus. Mm. Well, and if you wonder what, to, what that word assurance means and what, what that means for you, keep listening. Uh, do we, should we, we better give a, a brief summary of it here then, assurance. What do we mean when we talk about assurance? Insurance or assurance? Uh, assurance. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> assurance is, that's my Australian accent, um, Assurance is, is being, it's about sh- being sure, being sure of something. Uh, and particularly it's about being sure of our salvation, that we are certain that God has hold of us. Mm. Okay, well that brings us to the end of the first God Story podcast. Uh, Ian, it's been fabulous talking to you. Do we um, want to give a, an email contact for folk who might have some uh, horror stories or want to uh, just talk to you pastorally and are you able to... Sure. Do you, want to, do you want to give, give your email out? I, I can. That's dangerous, but... Uh, oh, well, <laughs> I've got, are, you, I'm joking. are you all right about it? Yeah, I'm yeah. totally fine. Uh, so, Ian, I-A-N, at kingsgrace.nz. Mm. All right. Thanks, Ian. And uh, that's God Story Podcast, part one. Thank you.